Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the Luke Ayling hitting the post and then shooting straight at the defender of the podcast, got a stat pad. And today I'm joined by the Dan James hitting the bar on the way to the second goal of the podcast, Darren Driver. I suppose that's one way of doing it. <laughs> and finally, the Pascal miscontrol that led to the winner of the podcast. You don't get points for style. It's Tom Alderson. Toldo, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm I'm looking forward to making loads of interesting tactical points on last night's game because there's just, <laughs> there's just loads to talk about. So yeah, why am I last in the running order? That that never happens. I've been promoted recently. I've been I've been coming second on the running order. So you lot take all. Mind you, everyone takes flack these days, don't they? Yeah, it's not. There's not even a nice part of the intro now. Just like you're a dick and you're a dick. <laughs> and let's talk about Leeds United. <laughs> More accurate that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. Now Darren has been going above and beyond in terms of making himself available, and that curries favour with me. So he's just been slightly pushed up the order. He's been promoted to the senior leadership group as well, hasn't he? Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he is now a member of the senior leadership group. But yeah, you've been pretty regular too. So you know, it's uh, it's like choosing between the favourite of my two children uh, when it comes to this. <laughs> running order but one of your children who's older than you <laughs> yeah he's also my dad <laughs> don't explain that one Darren how are you doing uh, I, I'm well thank you so it's quite an interesting evening for me last night I was at the I was watching my son in a theatre performance playing Gomez Adams in a production of the Adams Family carrying the whole show doing very well um, and then at half time of the show I looked to see what was going on at Elland Road and I'm uh, sorry at Molyneux and was unhappy it would be fair to say, by what I discovered at that point. And then came at the end of the show, looked at BBC Sport and we were at two all and then spent the next 20 minutes stood outside um, watching the rest of the game on my phone and under the guise of waiting for an Uber, which I definitely wasn't doing. Um, so yeah, it was <laughs> it was quite an interesting evening. And then I've, I've re-watched the game twice. I watched it once last night and then once again this morning. And I still, yeah, I've got, I've got thoughts, but I'm not sure what order they're going to come out in, to be honest. <laughs> How about you, John? How are you doing? 
Yeah, I, I'm good. I also made good mental health decisions last night and uh, went to play football for the first half and came off the pitch and it was half time and it was 2-0. Uh, by the time I got home, <laughs> uh, it was 2-2. <laughs> so yeah, I, not what I was really expecting, but managed to catch the last 20 minutes as well. So yeah, a game of which it's hard to talk about, to, to say the least. So, well, I guess let's let's do that. But before we do that... It does seem very likely that Leeds United will be in the Premier League next season, which is a good thing. Not only because we get to watch Leeds against the elite teams of the United Kingdom, but also because it means that our Patreon will probably still exist next season. Um, <laughs> so, so for those of you who don't know what Patreon is, Patreon is a platform which allows us to put out bonus content for subscribers. We put out loads of video content. We put out bonus podcasts, including a preview podcast for every game in the Premier League. Uh, it's just a, a great way for you to find out more about what's going on on the field. So if you are interested in that kind of thing, then do head over to our Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? And consider signing up, safe in the knowledge that it will be still there next season. Is this like lead selling season tickets? Mm, uh, absolutely. Uh, elevated prices before we know the division, but we do know the division more than likely that we're going to be in. So this is a safer investment for the, for the people, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. We will be talking about teams like Manchester City and Chelsea, not Preston North End. Millwall. And- Millwall, no one likes us, we don't care. Is that all stats <laughs> or leads? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a good thing to end on, I think, for a, for a Patreon push. Let's get to the match at hand, which is a 3-2 win against Wolves. I haven't checked in the last 10 minutes, but the stats bomb data hasn't dropped on FB Ref yet, so I've got no idea about the expected goals and I think it will be a crazy one for various reasons as we'll go on to talk about with the expected goals so needless to say we created enough chances to win the game anyway to the game in hand Jesse Marsh kept the 4-2-3-1 formation from the Norwich game despite the fact that Rafinha was uh, with Covid I'm now going to talk through the the lineup you're going to have to bear with me because everyone got injured and mainly in the first half so the back four was unchanged from the previous game too, although Diego Urente went off midway through the first half to be replaced by Robin Koch, and we saw the foreshore click pivot again, although injury, surprise, surprise, saw click off uh, later on to be replaced by Charlie Cresswell, and then Robin Koch was pushed forward into the pivot. And if that wasn't enough, Pat Bamford didn't last long either. The old injury flaring up, which saw him subbed off for Sam Greenwood uh, again in the first half. With Rafinha out, Dan James dropped into the wide positions in the midfield with Harrison, both of them flanking Rodrigo in the 10 spot. And obviously later on, Ilan Melier was subbed out for Christopher Klaassen, uh, causing many, many people to loosen their guts, no doubt. Uh, but in the end, it proved to be OK. Uh, the first half was, as you might have guessed, a flitting from one injury to the next. Leeds did generate some chances, but they left themselves vulnerable in wide areas and they got exploited this way for the first Leeds goal, which came from a ball over the top into the left-back area. Leeds didn't really get back into the game in the first half and this was no doubt affected by the injuries to their players. And just before half-time, it got done by another ball into the left-back area, this time from a free kick. The game obviously hung on a red card. Raul Jimenez getting sent off after picking up a second yellow for a challenge on Ilan Melier, which saw him go off injured. 
But despite Wolves going down to 10 men, Leeds did struggle to possess the ball in the second half. And when the goals did come, they came from crosses. So the first was a cross to Luke Ayling, hit the ball against the post, and then off a defender before Jack Harrison slotted home. The second was a ball through to Dan James just over the top, who hit the bar, looped back across to where Sam Greenwood took a touch, and then Rodrigo ran through and scored. And then a third was from a free kick, which Ayling fed back to Strauch before the ball fell favourably to him again in front of the Wolves goal. So it was another game where chaos reigned, but Leeds were able to generate some good chances. The red card obviously helped, but at this point, who cares? That's my summary of a crazy game. Let's move on to the interrogation section. So this is the interrogation section where I ask the guys five questions about the game to try and get to the bottom of what happened. I'm not sure that we will be able to help much in this instance, but we will do our (laughs) damnedest to try. So, Darren, let's kick off with a question about just the game in general. So I've mentioned that the game was a wildly chaotic affair. How do you look back on it with a clear head the morning after with two rewatches, no less? I really still do not have a clue. Um, it, it, it was so wild. It was so um, so event-driven. There were so many highs and lows. There was such a lot of stuff happening that it, I think it's almost impossible to, to read... To, you know, I, I mean, I, I think I'm pretty decent at reading a game of football. I mean, I should be after after doing this for so long. And I just have, I just don't... This is like reading a different language to me, this game. It's just everything was so chaotic all the way through that um, that I just find it impossible to kind of pin down. I mean, you can you can see that... I, I suppose what you can see is that, yeah, some of, some of the things that we thought might still work in the switch from Bielsa to Marsh were there and were working and and were reasonable um that that some of the some of the sort of tactical things transfer quite nicely but i think it would also be fair to say that a lot of the problems that we anticipated would be there last night were there and present and correct and caused us a lot of problems but somehow they were overcome on the night and i suppose that's the bit that that i can't quite work out is is how we got from that point of um, being dead and buried and out of the game and, and, and completely out of it to the point where, yeah, we're winning a game with a, with an injury time winner but without actually seeming to play very well at any point in the game. Um, that's, that's the thing. So I think, I, think, I think what I will say is that what is clear is that the players have got an, a renewed vigour, a renewed sense of application a re- and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And that's difficult for us to, to measure and to talk about because cause that's... Not you know some, but I think they they do look like they're kind of really fighting for the cause, and 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 that is important, and 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 in yeah, definitely important to say. But from a tactical and and kind of technical point of view, I think it's really difficult to to pull it out. But we do have a a, a special guest appearance by Jamie Carragher, um, who's who's uh, who's who's here interview interview. So Jamie, what did you make of the game yesterday? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that, Jamie. Um, I agree with that analysis, and I think that's that's about as much analysis as I've got. Yeah, we did mention before we came on that you, we could have just done for the game summary. We were pretty bad until the red card, and then we were pretty bad after the red card, and then we won three two. Yeah, Tom Alderson, how about yourself? Got anything more that you could shed some light onto the the miasma of whatever it was that we saw last night? Was I mean, you kind of just summarised what I was going to say in a sentence there, John. <laughs> like the the only way I could break it down personally is like we did we did cause them problems until their goal, um, sort of that again with the more sort of Bielsa style of play and then 
after their goal went in, we were just bloody awful. And then the red card happened, and then we were still awful, but we won. And that's uh, that's <laughs> really all I could take. Like I've I've watched it back as well, and I, I I watched it live, and I just it's just hard to take stuff from games like that. And really, you can the only thing you can probably take is like the like what you said down about the the confidence it brings the players. And you think with with an international break coming up, it's maybe a good time to get those sort of two style of wins because like if they can put some work in over that the break, then we hopefully we can just push on after with like the, the games after the breaks. I think they're like Southampton and Watford, which should be are probably our easiest games left. Easiest run of games left. So you've just got to hope that the confidence that a win like that gives the players is what you can take from that game. Yeah, and the thing is that we, we had a lot of chances last night and I wanted to say that we created a lot of chances, but that wouldn't be strictly true. That wouldn't be true at all. But I think we made some chances, but we made them like as if you'd made a cup of tea by throwing the mug <laughs> at the kettle, <laughs> somehow hitting the switch, the, the kettle goes on. <laughs> then, then you get the milk and lob that over and hope some of that goes in the cup. And that's sort of how it feels to me. It's kind of just the, 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 the <laughs> most chaotic way of doing anything possible. Yeah, we are going to talk about the bigger picture stuff later on in this interrogation. So I'll move on to question two, which is, remarkably, we got a lot of things fairly bang on in our preview podcast. Now, far be it from me to be patting myself on the back, but it is quite nice to be right about something when we suggested it might be painful at times, and we still came out with the three points. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling quite good about that today. But we suggested that the four-two-three-one might be used to match up the forward press with the Wolves' back three. What did you make of the forward pressing in the game, Tom? One thing I found from not just this game, but Marsh's game in general, that like the players individually press quite well. And again, that's, that might be still a hangover from Bielsa. Like we did create maybe not chances, but there's a lot of times in I think more in the first half where we we sort of an individual ran at a player, won the ball back, and then there was a chance to sort of break on the team just as, whilst it's not like the group pressing that Marsh would want, it did lead to opportunities. And there was, I think there was one where Dan James had a shot and another where Rodrigo had a shot early on that if you think maybe eventually those will start leading to more clear-cut chances, but it's still it's still more an individual thing rather than a team a team thing and you just got to hope that comes with time because I think it could actually be effective long term but yeah in this game it was it was more just individuals but it, it did work to, in some in some points I found yeah I I, I sort of agree with Tom I, th- I think there were moments again like similar to Norwich where, where it looked like there was some unity in it and then there were other moments when it just did look like individuals herring about the place um, and one of the things that I noticed last night that Wolves were quite smart at was that that we were quite often leaving quite a big gap between our back four and the midfield pivot who were pushing up in to get involved in the press and they, they, Wolves were quite good at dropping a player in between that gap to pick the ball up in a central area and then move it out wide and I thought that caused us quite a few problems and I don't think it's something that we that we really addressed but um, but you know, it's one of those games where, again, you know, like Jamie Carragher was marvelling about how Leeds players just run around all the time. And, and, and I think that, that there is some truth in that, that w- what we're missing in sort of cohesion in terms of the press at the moment, currently at this second, or last night anyway, was, was to a degree made up for by just individual effort been been put in and I think that eventually you need to move to a place where it's more co- more cohesive, more anticipatory, more um collective. But at the moment the the gap is or certainly last night and against against Norwich was is being made up just by pure bloody hard dog work which which I have to say the players are committing to fully. Um and you know that that's that's all of them including Rodrigo who I've been critical of for that in the past. So um 
I, I personally want to see something smarter, and, I, and I'm sure that in the fullness of time we will, but I think ju- just for, it's good enough for now is what I would say. I think when it comes to this sort of stuff, the issue with Bielsabor was that in terms of the off-ball stuff, it's not efficient. I think I've said this a few times before, and what I mean by that is that usually what you do when you're in an off-ball situation as a team is you do just enough to stop the opposition from being able to exploit whatever system you're in. Uh, and that means that you'll have a few players around the ball maybe working a little bit harder than than the rest of the the rest of the team. The problem with Bielsa ball is that everyone has to work just as hard regardless of where they are on the pitch because they're constantly tracking players. Um, and the the idea of bringing someone else in for a different off ball system is partly to be able to mitigate that so that you're not feeling like you're going to have to batter your players through a game just to keep some kind of defensive solidity and at the moment it does feel to me a little bit like we're still playing a sort of Bielsa ball oriented press particularly in maybe some of the higher areas we're not doing as uh, aggressive a high press as we would under Bielsa but uh, it does feel as though there's a lot of we as you've said we're getting a lot of edge from from that running and I think for me going forward what I want to see is as like you say Darren it's just a more efficient press you want to see a smarter press because it just feels more um it, it feels more um sustainable I think in the long run to be able to do that so it's a funny one because there's so much of the stuff that's going on which is just a, a sort of weird hybrid of of Bielsa ball and and I guess Jesse Marsh's um, ideal approach, um, and yeah, again, it's, it's sort of hard to read the games as well because of that. I don't know if you, have, our guys, have any other thoughts on the pressing side of things, but it's de- it's definitely not Jesse Marsh ball, and it's definitely not Bielsa ball because it's it's not Jesse Marsh ball because it's not a sort of it's not a smart counter press. It's not a couple of players pressing to the ball and then the rest of the the nearby players closing off passing lanes. It's just not that at all, and that's partly because we're we're attacking in a Bielsa ball sense because, and, and the players are a lot more uh, spread out than you might want them to be in a Jesse Marsh system. So it's pretty hard to sort of read anything other than, yeah, like you say, there's lots of vibes going on. Mm. Yeah, lots of vibes, lots of effort. and um, but, but I do think that, that some of the things that we're about to talk about in terms of the wide areas are, are being exposed partly because we haven't got that cohesiveness in the press. So I'm, I'm, that's just me queuing you up for the next bit, John. Feel free to take over, Darren, if you don't know, like the job that I'm doing. <laughs> no, 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 sorry, sorry. I just, that was a pretty exhilarating glimpse behind a magician's curtain for everyone, wasn't it? <laughs> Funnily enough, Darren, I've got a question on this. <laughs> yeah, another thing that we talked about on the preview podcast was the susceptibility to width. So what did you make of the issues with width in the game? Yeah, so I'm, I am coming to accept it as a, as a flaw. It's not a flaw I enjoy seeing, but I'm coming to accept it. And I do recognise that all defensive systems have flaws and things that can be exploited. And we've gone from being very, very vulnerable in central areas to being really vulnerable out wide. And although that's not as directly dangerous in the sense that you can't get straight at goal from a wide area like you can from the middle, obviously it is a really good avenue for teams to create chances through. So I think the thing that I am a bit worried about is how quickly it's been identified as a weakness of Marsh's system by by the oppositions and how easily teams are exploiting it and I think Wolves had like a double wide system last night so they had the wing backs and they had their their wide forward players and it created loads and loads of problems for for both of the fullbacks particularly for Luke Aylin on on our right hand side and that it just meant that he had dilemmas everywhere he didn't know whether to press up onto the wing back he didn't know whether to cover the um to cover the the wide forward um and it just meant that we we were vulnerable and and again we didn't change the shape to manage that issue which is what I might expect 
a tactically a tactically savvy coach to do. Um, so I think if we're going to stick with the shape we start a game with, um, at least for the rest of the season, I think we need we need two things to happen. We need to get that front press working more effectively to stop the switch. And we need to compact the team front to back more because I think that's one of the issues is that we are so stretched that it is easy to find those gaps. I think one of the problems with that is that I think we are lacking genuine recovery pace in, in any of our back players. So it means that I think we're a bit more reluctant to play with the line as high as the system, as Jesse Marsh's system, off-ball system would need. So I, I think we are a little bit vulnerable. Uh, yeah, hanging back a little bit because of that, and that makes us just as vulnerable to the switches if we played with the high line anyway. I think every goal we've conceded under Jesse Marsh has come from a wide area. It has. Uh, just yeah. thinking back on it yeah. now, you've got the, the Harvey Barnes playing the one-two around the fullback um, against Villa. We had um, the the goal where it was cut back to Coutinho, and maybe I mean it's, it's basically a, a mirror image of the, the the second goal last night, where the ball's cut back to the edge of the D. Um, and it's something I've mentioned maybe a few times before that we do look quite susceptible in those backward defending moments when um, when the ball hits the byline that if teams do hit the, the edge of the box there's a lot of space because I think the team gets too flat uh, part, partly I think because you, we play with this configuration where you end up with a double pivot who just drops in between the lines so you end up with a really flat back line and, and we're seeing a lot of teams um, exploit that obviously the Mat- Matty Cash goal was from, from that wide area the um, Callum Chambers one is a little bit of a um, out, outlier in that you don't expect Callum Chambers to turn into Lionel Messi, but um, I guess the Norwich goal as well came from from a wide area, and then both of the Wolves goals last night came through the right the left back area. Um, so, Tom, what do you make of of this issue that we we seem to be having with with? Yeah, I mean, there's there's two things I kind of sort of want to add to it. Um, sort of on look, if you just focus on last night first, is that there was um, when Trincao came on. Um, I think it actually made it was probably in their favour. I know Neves went off injured, but it kind of turned out to be in their favour because, like you were saying, Darren, like it ended, up, they had two wide players, two fullbacks, and it was just meant that all that space we were giving them in wide areas was um, was just causing causing us problems. Um, and the switch as well, like they weren't they weren't going for like a full on switch, like the sort of the sweeping crossfield ball that you would expect. But it was because the press wasn't very cohesive. It they could kind of find that they were in one on one wing. They could pass to a central midfielder, pass to another wing, and then they had even more space in that other wide area. Um, and it's it's that's kind of more annoying because, like, if a player has got space and they can just hit that crossfield ball, like at least you've all got time to get over and sort of solve that. But the fact that the press isn't quite working on a sort of u- as a unit at the moment means that they w- th- that that they can sort of play those that pass the midfielder, pass across, and it just means. They can get out even easier and cause even more problems than they normally would. So, yeah, it's. I think it's just something we're going to have to accept, really, until Marsh gets enough time to sort of. I mean, we'll probably still see that once Marsh has had time, but we'll be able to. With the press, it won't be as common a problem. Like it's, every attack at the moment seems to be like that, but we might be able to sort of mitigate that with more time. But yeah. I, I I do prefer it for it than to see other teams running through the middle of us, but it's still it's still not ideal to see it, really, is it? Yeah, and I think that when you look at Jesse Marsh teams in the past, they've had that issue even when they're playing at their best. So if you watch if you watch RB Salzburg versus Liverpool in the Champions League in the second season that Jesse Marsh was there, you're still seeing those frailties there that a good team can break the press quite 
comfortably and, and find those wide areas. And if they have elite ball players like Trent Alexander-Arnold, for example, um, you do you do sort of find yourself exposed in that, in that sense. And I suppose going forward, we will start, I think, finding that the teams who play better in wide areas will cause us problems. Um, so, yeah, it's... It is what it is, um, and I suppose that yeah, like the idea is that the the, the counter press does get better, and it, you you make those passes harder. But I guess every elite side is going to be good enough to be able to get players on the ball who can just make those switches, um, given a little bit of time and space. So um, yeah, it's it's like the um, the the famous quote about the blanket, right? Um, that for, I don't know, Rafa Benitez has, has said it, I think, and maybe Mourinho as well. But the idea that, you know, a football coach can't protect everything, so you just have to make decisions. Are you going to protect your head with a blanket to keep your head warm? Or are you going to keep your feet warm with the blanket and your head gets cold? Um, and I think that's what we're seeing now very much, is that we've seen a system where the blanket was put in, put over the wide areas and left the middle was left cold. Um, and now we're in a system where the middle is left warm and um, the, the the outside areas that are dangling outside the end of the bed to torture the metaphor to an almost offensive level. Get a bigger blanket. Just <laughs> just keep keep your feet warm. That's just my advice. Just keep your feet warm. That's it. That's all I've got to say about it. Yeah, good to see that we are able to answer the big questions <laughs> on this podcast. Tom. Question four. I've already mentioned that we didn't look great on the ball after the red card. Do you think that this represents an issue for us going forward? And I, I, I guess I ask this question because once you go down to, once an opposition goes down to 10 men, I suppose you're in a situation where you have the ability to be able to possess the ball and control the ball and maybe do more with it. And it didn't feel as though we did that at, at all. And in fact, a lot of the time watching after the, the red card, it felt as though Wolves were in control of the game more than we were, even despite the fact that we're down to, to 10 men. So what do you make of that? I think since Marsh has come in, we've kind of struggled with playing the sort of attacking way that he wants to play to an extent and sort of the remnants of what Bielsa wanted to do. And then when they went down to 10 men last night, it felt like we were trying to do Marsh's style of play, a bit of Bielsa, and then also sort of retain possession. And in the end, I just don't think we did any of them. So the the red card probably didn't help the attacking play, um, even though like logic suggests it should, because I think it just confused the players more. Um, it going forward, like I think it is, it's it's weird because like the the goals we've scored have been still like Bielsa style goals mostly, haven't they? Or well, apart from last night where there just there was no style whatsoever. Um, so it's yeah, yeah. I, I just I don't think we're going to see some sort of cohesive version of whatever Marsh wants attacking wise. So uh, for the rest of the season, so it's an issue. But I'm. Again, it's one that I'm kind of prepared to go with if like, we keep some of the Bielsa stuff and keep some of the Marsh stuff. It was noticeable last night that there's a kind of real reluctance to play lateral passes, and particularly when we went down to 10 men, the way that you, the way that you unpick 10 men is you keep moving the ball laterally and wait for gaps to appear and then pop the ball through those gaps. It's like that's, but what we were doing last night was not waiting for the gaps to appear and trying to pop the ball through gaps that weren't there. Um, because Wolves, for all their faults, and I don't think they're an, they're an amazing team, but, but, they, but they are quite good at, at holding banks of players, um, apart from that moment where they, you know they rocked in in the sixty third, sixty fifth, sixty sixth minute, or whatever it was, um, but but you know I th- I think that we we had the um, opportunity to show a bit of patience, dis- display a bit of quality to um, try and find a way to unpick unpick the lock, and we didn't do that. 
and the result came out okay in the end. But I think I, th- I read, I reread um, Jesse Marsh's um, Coach's Voice article um, yesterday, and I thought what was really noticeable in that, and I read it before the game, and and one of th- one of the things that I noticed is that in in that article, he doesn't talk about what his teams do with the ball once. Everything is about what they do off the ball, and I think that's instructive because I think I think that really shows where his where his thought process is. So it's can you win the ball back? Can you get the ball into a dangerous area? And beyond that, he doesn't even remotely talk about how build up, you know, what sort of build up he wants to see, yada yada yada. So um, I think we're in a halfway house at the moment, as Tom said, and I'm interested to see what it looks like next next season. But I have to say, I am a bit nervous about it because I I, I just think that. Um, you know, and you don't you don't get prizes for art, you don't get points awarded for artistic merit for football, right? As long as as long as you're able to create chances, that's fine. But I am a bit nervous about how guileless it might look at times next season. But I think yesterday, because of that combination of the BL, the some of the Bielsa patterns coming out and Wolves rocking and the players working hard in in the press, I think it I think it worked okay. But I it, I think it will be that's the big question for Mark for me next season is how how we look on the ball. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of people say, well, you know, the similarities between Bielsa and, and Jesse Marsh. And I actually think that there's a lot of dissimilarities between them because I feel as though instinctively Bielsa is a manager who thinks about possessing the ball um, in certain ways and and how to move the ball through the thirds and get into dangerous situations. Whereas Jesse Marsh feels to me like a manager who thinks about it instinctively off-the-ball stuff. Um, and for, for me, Bielsa's like off-the-ball stuff is is a sort of necessary addition to his possession play. And then the on the ball stuff is sort of like a necessary addition to Jesse Marsh's off the ball stuff. So I do think there's um, slightly slight differences there. And yeah, next season, I think there are going to be questions, but this does move us on to the final question in this section, which is um, we've had four games to see it now. What do we make of whatever this is under Jesse Marsh, Darren? I mean, I suppose if you look at it from from like an XG point of view, in three out of the four games so far, we've made significantly higher XG than the opposition, and that hasn't happened at any other stage this season. Um, and and I think that that you know that's not to be sniffed at. We've won we've won two games out of the four, and the two games that we've won, we deserve to win both of them. Um, albeit there was a big slice of luck in both of them too. I think it's worth acknowledging that. But I think on the balance of both of those games, we did we if you look at the um the chances made at least we deserve we deserve to win um i i'm so i suppose from that point of view i have to say like i'm happy that that we're now in a position where you know we've got the couple of wins that we needed to feel a lot more secure about our place in the division and the, and i stopped thinking about performance levels a long time ago this season and it became very very results based for me um because because it was all about you know that worry about whether we would um, end up getting sucked into the bottom three, and if I, th- I thought if we got sucked in, we probably wouldn't be able to get out. Um, but so I, I, I think for me, like th- in the long term, I've still got question, big questions about about how it's going to work. But I have to say that in the short term, you know, what whatever impact he's had on the club, um, whether that be to do with you know the kind of man management side of things, or whether it, whether it be to do with tightening up some of the man marking stuff or whatever, but it does seem to have had at least some impact on the team, and and that's that's really all you can ask for in in a, in a coach that's been brought in for twelve final games. Yeah, I'm kind of on the same point as Darren. Really, like I can't really make a call on whether it's a good thing long term or even medium term, but he's he's made us. Just he's, he's improved us enough that we've got those two wins, and we we probably deserve to beat Leicester as well. 
Um, so it's I'm I'm positive on it currently, but I do have the sort of I'm I'm not going to make a judgment on whether it's a right call or if his tactics are going to work long term because I don't I don't think he's had time to implement it and I I just you don't know how it's going to fix. It's it's still a bit of a mishmash of what we've seen at the moment. But yeah, at, at the moment I'm fairly positive. Yeah, I think that is very much a vibes appointment, and at this point. It was probably an appointment from that point of view. I guess my question is going to be like, what happens next season when you go into a new season and you're not in a relegation battle and you're suddenly in a situation where you've got to vibes your team up for a game against, I don't know, Brentford or something? Like, at what point does do the vibes run dry? Because you can't just constantly be that kind of, of, of team. And, and I, I mean, this is what everyone's saying. Well, let's wait till next season and see what happens tactically. But. As Darren said, like if you just look through the greater body of the Jesse Marsh literature, there's just not a huge amount of evidence that that he is going to do anything interesting in possession of the ball, and and I suppose that's going to be that's going to be the worry going forward. But that's a worry that we don't need to necessarily focus on at this point. Um, at the moment, it's just nice to be knowing that we're going to be in the Premier League again next season, barring. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Very unforeseen circumstances. But anyway, that brings us to the end of the interrogation. Over to the Bring a Topic section. So the Bring a Topic section is where you guys bring topics for us to talk about. So who wants to kick off? Toldo? Yeah, I can kick off. I kind of wanted to just have a bit of a chat about the centre-backs. It's more of a, like... It, I felt like I noticed it more last night that they seem to be... There they seems to be the position on the pitch where the players are struggling most to adapt from a man-marking system to a zonal system. And I think that's I think that's fair because it's like they're, they're marking... They had, they had were the only ones that had that plus one responsibility, so it's probably where the man marking is probably the most confusing uh, on the pitch. And I think that the first goal we conceded last night was a, quite a good example of the centre back struggling. Um, Pascal pushed out, and then the ball went over Dallas's head because he was watching the ball, and then Juventus kind of just didn't really know what to do. Um, and I just wondered, like, do, do you just think this is something that will fix itself um, over time, or is it 
the players are more suited to man marking or or what really? Yeah, it's a good it's a good question, you know, Tom. Because I noticed Jamie Carragher was giving both of our centre backs clog, particularly in the first half, saying that Leeds have just got bad players in that position. Um, and I thought that was an interesting comment, and obviously I felt a bit defensive about it on behalf of at least one of the centre backs on the pitch. <laughs> <laughs> one, but um, but when I, yeah, I think I think one of the one of the problems is is that because of those you know because of, we were being overloaded in wide areas, it did mean that the um, the centre backs had a lot of work to do in terms of not only marking Jimenez but also trying to make sure that they were covering their fullbacks, which meant that they were doing a lot of lateral movement as a pair, um, and and. One of the things, like I do think Diego Llorente has got a lot of qualities as a defender, believe it or not, but I don't think cohesive movement with a partner is one of them. Um, I think he's very much ball orientated. So, um, and also I think that Pascal Strauch has become a bit more ball orientated than 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 I would hope. So, like you say, that moment in in the game last night where he gets pulled into the midfield, the ball gets put into the space where he would have been is just is just a classic thing. I think where there's a, where there's a kind of there's a probably a muscle memory about following the man out. Ball gets put in behind him, and, and I think that there is probably some adaptation going on there. But I do think that that they defended much better in in the second half, um, and yeah. So I, I I think I agree with you, Tom. I think there is some adaptation going on, but also I think that they are going to look vulnerable in 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 times where they've been sucked into wide areas by by dint of the fact that the opposition have got an overload there. I think that is just going to be part and parcel of the system too. Yeah, I totally agree with Darren there. You're essentially defending with a back three at that point. And so Pascal, the outside centre-back in that back three, pushes wide and then you just leave a massive amount of space between your full-back and your, and your other centre-back. And obviously it's not, it's not even like it's a classic back three. It's that you've got a full-back who isn't going to play as an outside centre-back. So you, you sort of end up with an acre of space between the, the ball-sided centre-back and then the full-back on the other side of the field. Um, and again, like as I said before, I just think already teams like we're four games in and we've seen I think in the last couple of games we've seen oppositions target the fact that our defending backwards ends up with us getting quite flat and and they're targeting the edge of the D as a as an area where if you can get the ball to that space um you can you can probably find a teammate who can then have a chance at goal and I think that sort of thing the the, the reason why these things are dangerous I think at this level is that you can tell a a, a player at this level you can get the ball into these areas and you will retain possession or generate a chance we've seen it in the in the wide areas where a decent player on the uh, getting getting half a yard of space on on one side or the other can just play a cross field ball blindside without even looking and know that they'll probably have a chance of retaining possession and i think the same is true in an attacking sense that if you hit the byline if you, you don't need to know where your teammates are but if you can hit the edge of the d and know that there's pr- probably going to have a chance of hit, hitting a teammate you can then have a shot then it makes it you know these players are good enough at this level to be able to do that with a level of uh of uh re- repetition and so that's that's going to be the problem i think but um yeah again it's it's funny isn't it it's like we, we in the bielsa system and there was always positions that were blamed for certain things and I think the centre-backs are going to get blamed for, for that. I mean, I guess the, the, the centre-backs got hung out to dry a little bit in the Bielsa system because you just had chains of 
possess of of man markings falling to pieces and then obviously people remember the person who was the last engaged before the goal so centre-backs are always going to be hung out to dry in that sense but I agree with that John but I also think there's there's a difference in the Bielsa system in that you could always pinpoint what had happened beforehand in quite a quite straightforward way so you could say such and such a player didn't engage his man blah 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 that that's where the chain starts but here it's more of a collective thing that happens up front that doesn't that doesn't happen properly so it's a so I think that's that means that it is even more likely that the centre-backs are going to going to get hung out to dry as a result of that yeah I'm, I'm sure that is the case Darren how about you what did you want to talk about so we were talking about vibes earlier and, and I wanted to talk about a player who seems to be very much running on vibes at the moment in a way that's similar to the way that he did towards the end of the promotion season so I wanted to ask you guys what you made of Luke Aylin because obviously he's playing with like like I think he's kind of the totem for that increased level of determination effort yada 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 or certainly was last night that we talked about earlier but what what did you make of his performance because I thought he had a really mixed night and obviously he's got a big involvement in two of the goals right but but at the same time um I think he I think he had a difficult time defensively due to being overloaded on the right hand side and I also thought his in possession stuff was really mixed so I just wondered what what you guys made of his performance his defensive stuff like not just last night uh but in there were the game before where went at right back specifically. I think he kind of struggled, um, ma- mainly because, like you say, we're being overloaded in those areas, and he just it doesn't leave him much of a chance. But I, I do feel like he's he's probably beat. I don't know if I've noticed not noticed this in the past, but I feel like he's just beaten quite easily by a winger r- more than he was before, and I don't know if it's just sort of time catching up on him. But his his in possession stuff again, yeah, was last night was mixed. I'd, his in, I did really like his in-possession stuff at centre-back for the first two games, and I'd like him to go back there if possible. Um, but like you say, like he's just he, he's hard not to love him when he plays, when he, he contributes in the way that he did for those last two goals. Like he just he, he the fact he like he followed that second one in like a striker, which was just brilliant, and I just absolutely loved that. And then. The, the fact that he've even tried to do that Robbie Keane celebration, I just I, I absolutely <laughs> loved it. So, so yeah, he's just I, I think he's he's one of these that like you you trust him to try and get get us the points and try and get us over the line in these situations. Um, but there is also like I do have my doubts about some of the stuff he does as well. Like it's not it's not all good, but um, it's hard not to love him. He's not helped by the kind of relative lack of rotation that's happening in front of him in the possession stuff I think it feels a bit more static to me so it's more much more that he's got to hit a channel or he's got to hit a ball down the line and it's a bit more traditional fullback type possession stuff and I, I, I just think that that because we're used to seeing him play the Bielsa style and, and pick pick the ball out in a much more kind of considered way I think that's why it feels like a bit of a shock to the system to me to see him so regularly just kind of vibing the ball down the line and hoping that Dan James can chase it or whoever and happens to be on that side. I think it's a, it's a tricky one in in a defensive sense because you're getting hung out to dry in this system as a fullback basically. Yeah. And in the same way that like often our pivot player under Bielsa would just get walked around, the same thing's happening in a fullback situation. So it's hard to judge. I think Ailing in that sort of sense. Uh, I'm with I'm with Tom Alderson. I'd much rather see him played as the centre back. Um, and weirdly, I think the best half of football he's had under Jesse Marsh is probably the first half of the Leicester game, which is where we played Marsh ball and it. We have since decided we're not doing that. Um, and I, I don't know why that might be the case. I suspect that given it changed over the half time period is the players came out and said, we feel more comfortable playing the way that we 
play in in possession and, and going into wide areas and wide spaces. Um, so maybe next season will be the one to to have a look at, at Luke Ayling. But you know he's getting old now, so it'll be interesting to see what what happens there. And in terms of like the, the wider question on Luke Ayling, I think it's always interesting to ask the counterfactual question, which is like how much is the result colouring the way that we think about players? Uh, because there's a strong possibility that we came out of that game losing comfortably. In which case, like, how does that change our opinion of of the players that were involved? So, what would we be saying about Luke Ayling if uh, Raúl Jiménez isn't sent off yesterday? Uh, what would we be saying? We're going to talk about Rodrigo later on. What would we What would we be saying about these players? Because there, there's definitely a sense in which if we'd have lost that game three nil, um, it's the same result as a as the Villa game. And that Villa game, people were very, very negative. And uh, even in terms of like the XG stuff, we didn't generate any real XG until after that red card situation as well. So we could have easily been in a situation where we we sort of saw the same old narratives that we saw straight after the Villa game as well. So it's just something to keep in, in mind. I always think that, yes, okay, you know, there's no point always talking about the counterfactuals and people will know that I like, I have a little bit of an allergy towards counterfactual history, but I do think that you have to, you ha- when you're assessing players like this, you do have to think, right, for the first 60 minutes, if I were to be asked, what do you make of the players? How would that have changed the way that I looked at it? And I think in that instance, most people would have probably been quite negative about Ailing, for example. Yep, I, I, I don't disagree with that. I think that, and in terms of the whole mood of the, around the team as well, if you think about like the last six minutes against Norwich and ha- like the condensed emotional journey that people went through in that last six minutes and 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 like again last night there was a similar journey that, that was gone through from from absolutely loathing every single one of them to that kind of elation at the end like I, I, th- I think that's just kind of part and parcel of the nature of the kind of relegation dogfight isn't it that that um that the emotions are going to swing wildly in a way that they didn't last season because we were comfortable in mid-table for most of it Right, let's move on to the listener questions, enough of us. So question one from everyone on the Discord's little brother, Udav. He asks, did the first half show the downside of Jesse Marsh's in-possession structure against a centrally compact block? Having too many players playing narrow and a lack of wide options just led to unnecessary horizontal and backwards passing. Uh, Who wants to kick off on this? I've got a one-word answer for this, and the answer to that question is yes. <laughs> I, no, I I agree with 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 Udav there. I think that um, that there were times when I was watching the game back on my second rewatch this morning, and I'm going, just the the passes, just pass the bloody, just you know, kind of getting irritated even on my second rewatch um, that w- because we just weren't taking the sort of options that I'm used to seeing us take. The runs were there, um, but in in the advanced areas particularly, but but the ball wasn't going there. Um, so yeah, I, I did feel it, it became a bit stodgy and a bit centralised in, in that first bit, particularly after they scored and we really struggled to, to kind of progress the ball in any meaningful way. Do we feel as though that we did play really central? I don't know, I'm watching this and I'm, again, off the back of having watched a lot of Jesse Marsh games elsewhere, it just doesn't feel very Jesse Marsh-like to me and so... Well, I mean, I mean I'd defer to you on that, John, but but certainly in the, after, the, after, the f- after the first Wolves goal, I certainly felt like we stopped spreading the play as much as we were doing in the in the first 15 minutes and that that's all I can really say so I, I haven't got the bank of watching loads of Jesse Marsh's football I've watched a bit but um but certainly I, I felt that there was more width available to us and we used let's put it that way yeah I, I again I wasn't really focusing on that on my on my rewatch and I didn't look at this question until after I'd finished so I didn't sit through the the rewatch with that in mind but Tom did you want to add anything at this point not really like it's 
I kind of agree with Darren. Like, it, I, my one word answer was yes, but it was more that sort of uh, Dave on the preview said that this would cause us problems and sort of longer term, my thinking's like, if a, we know a team's going to be a complex block and we're going to play narrow, is this just going to be an issue all the time or are we actually going to be able to adapt to that? And I'm not really looking for an answer there. It's more just like, we, um, it's, it, you just got to hope that we can or we won't know really until next season, you'd imagine. Yeah, I think interestingly, the profile of the squad at the moment lends itself to us adapting in, in, in situationally in the game to playing more of a more more of a wide game. But once the squad is rebuilt a bit in the summer, I think it'd be interesting to see whether we still got the, the, the profile of player available to us that'll allow us to, to move into those wide areas, irrespective of whether that's what Marsh wants or not. Yeah, and we were very poor against Villa, and Villa are like the most centrally compact team probably in in the league. Like they like to play very narrow, and they overload in the central areas. Where also like the goals we scored yesterday weren't really marsh ball goals; they were all slinging the ball into the box in one way or another. I think maybe the 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 one where the ball goes over the top to Dan James is maybe the closest to something like. Uh, a, a Jesse Marsh team goal, but um, the first one was just a crossfield ball to the back back end of the box to, that Ailing took down, and then this the third one was from a was from a free kick as well. So, question two from Josh McReynolds. He says Rodrigo Renaissance has Jesse Marsh's system had that great of an influence on Rodrigo? Explain, Tom. Yeah, I personally do, uh, think it has. I don't know. Like it, you could argue that I am just looking at it through the fact that we've won the last two games. And he's been good in those last two games, but I think what one thing is that he, while we always, we always did criticise his pressing, it was the fact that he broke the pressing as a unit, and his ability to put a press an individual player was never really my problem. It was the fact that the way he pressed meant that he was like allowing the pass to still be there, and he was like running at a player, but that he was leaving his man marker free. So it was, it was stuff like that, and the way that we're pressing at the moment, which is just individuals, means that he we're not having that problem with him. The, the sort of the positions that he's taken up within Marsh's current system, whatever you want to call that, is I think he just is he's more comfortable in those positions compared to playing mainly as the one of the eight in Bielsa's system, so it gets him in positions he's more comfortable. And it just I think it just shows his ability on a player as a player more because he is like definitely one of our best players. He's got one one of our is reasonably played in the Champions League and stuff like that. So I th- I think it highlights it more currently than it was under Bielsa's system is why we're sort of feeling more positive about him now. There are two things I'd say about this, one of which is that there have been little patches of games previously where he's done well and then others where he's looked awful and and I'm not sort of saying, I I think it's too soon to say that he's had a renaissance and this is him like coming to life at Leeds because we've been here before Um, and he was dreadful against Villa, he was as dreadful against Villa as he was good against Norwich um, so I think I think it is interesting to see it will be interesting to see how that develops and the other thing is that we know that he suits vibey transitional football and that's what we're playing at the moment so I would expect him to look better in the, in the sort of attacking play that we're doing at the moment rather than in the very structured <clears throat> play that we've done at times under Bielsa although albeit we were more transitional under Bielsa this season so um, I, I think it's kind of very much watch this space for me but obviously I've been really really pleased with his impact on the last two games Yeah I think there's two things one is that he's not expected to defend in as disciplined a manner as he is in the Bielsa system which obviously suits everyone when, when he's involved like you're not talking about when, 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 he, when he fails to press you don't end up with everything falling apart you end up with the opposition probably like building up 
and in retaining possession, but not a dangerous situation. So there's that. And then on the other hand, I think the the, the system does encourage the Jesse Marsh system in possession does encourage forward players to drop in, uh, and he obviously loves to drop in. Um, and so I guess in the in a in a proper iteration of a Jesse Marsh team, you see usually actually the wider players in the in the midfield. Um, dropping in to show for the ball and playing a, basically an, uh, an up-back-and-through sort of movement where you know the, the centre-back finds one of the wide players who then plays it back to the pivot player who can then play the ball through to one of the strikers. And it does feel as though they've maybe tweaked things a little bit in this system to try and allow Rodrigo to be one of the players who drops in. Um, but there's lots of scope for him to do that. And that's, I think, where he looks good. If he, if he can drop... Well, I say that's funny because I think sometimes his first touch more recently has been letting him down but he he really loves just dropping in picking the ball up and then and then helping sort of move the ball in the in the midfield area so I think this system will suit him from that point of view yeah I think you're right John actually I'd not really thought about it in the in these terms of before but you're, you're absolutely right so if he's not doing the man-to-man stuff so he's not going to be following a player right back into the left back area or wherever so that means that he can take up what you would call a rest attack position isn't it and 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 be be avail find space so that when we do win the ball that he, he can be in an intelligent position um to pick it up which I think does suit his strengths yeah I think so so question three it would be remiss of us to not talk about Christopher Klassen obviously Darren loves talking about goalkeepers so I'll throw this one to you first mm-hmm. we had a question from El Barker who said doesn't Klassen look a little bit like a bootleg Manuel Neuer haha <laughs> no but seriously how worried are we if Melier is out for a few games how do you feel about Klassen these days to be read in the style of Frank Lampard so Darren uh, yeah, give us just an overview of the the class and cameo. That was very very Lampardian, John. Well done. Um, no, he was he was good last night. Um, the I will say that the saves that that he made are saves I would expect him to make. That that's the one thing that I will say. Which which sounds like I'm um, praising him with faint dams. I'm I'm really I'm really not. Like it, it's a high pressure situation, and he came in, did well, came out, punched that cross away, made made a few. A few good saves. I think overall, what I would say with Klaassen is that my view on him really hasn't changed um, in the sense that I don't think I'd want him playing for a sustained period of time uh, in in the first team. Um, but I do think he's been improved in the under-23s recently. I think he did really well in the Man United game, made a, made a few really good saves there. I think he's been, he's been solid. It's been a while since he's made one of his big ricks. Um, but I, I think that just because the risk works out as it did last night doesn't mean that it's not still a risk. Um, and so I, I, I've always taken a view with Klaassen that I think long-term he'll be really good, but I just think he's got a lot of areas that he needs to develop, one of which is that he's really not very good under a press. Now, Wolves didn't press us at the point at which he came on particularly, um, but even then there was once that they did, and first thing he did was absolutely skide the ball out of play. Um, and we've seen that a lot in the 23s that when he gets pressed and, and is under pressure he, he does tend to panic and I think that's something that we'd need to look out for where he, where he playing uh, again although having said that I think given the number of times Melier's hit the ball long since Marsh came in maybe that calmness under pressure at the back for a keeper isn't as important as it was under Bielsa um, but I think overall all you can say is that, that it, he did what he needed to do last night it was, it was a positive 
debut certainly much less stressful than than I um, anticipated, and that I, I'm, I'm sort of cautiously optimistic that he's developed across the course of the season. Um, and I've really enjoyed. This happens a lot. I've really enjoyed seeing Hobbsy take pelters for a lot of things that he and I have both said on the on the, on the 23s podcast. So uh, I, I I tend to um, avoid the pelters that you and Hobbsy take, John, uh, for for things I've said on this podcast. And and long may it continue. <laughs> a prophet is never accepted in their hometown, Darren. <laughs> it's worth saying again to 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 be the miserable git that I am, but. You know, this is a situation where he's come on for 40 minutes, isn't it, at the end of of a game when the opposition have gone down to 10 men. As you've said, we know what his weaknesses are and mm. those weaknesses are going to be exacerbated in situations when we're under a lot of pressure mm. and being up against 10 men is not going to be a situation where he's going to be under under a lot of pressure. So I think it's worth saying that. Like The, the things that I worry about with Klassen is that he's... With, with crosses into the box or whatever and um, situations where he has to deal with things confidently, he has a tendency to flap and generate more chaos than is worth. So, yeah, again, like he, as you say, he did what he needed to do, uh, but that doesn't stop him from having those, those problems. And as you say, quite succinctly, just because a risk works out doesn't stop it from being a risk. So um, hopefully we won't see too much of, of Klaassen. Uh, going forward um, and yeah hopefully Melier will be will be okay let's have a Statrick Bamford section so Statrick Bamford is the section where we discuss an interesting aspect of the game from a statistical point of view I thought the thing that might be interesting to talk about is that there's been a lot of people talking about expected goals and that's good I think expected goals is a good metric for, for assessing you know chances created in a game chance quality uh, and and likelihood of winning and there's no doubt that we created enough chances to to win that game yesterday but I think what's interesting really is that people are saying well you know in three out of four games we've created enough expected goals to to win but I think yesterday is very much a bit an outlier in that respect because up until the red card Wolves had created more expected goals. We hadn't created much at all. I wanted to talk about expected threat because if you head over to Mark R. Stats bot, which is a new account on Twitter where Mark R. Stats, who is a, a very smart data analyst, has made a, a bot which basically runs you through some of the aspects of the game after every game. It just automatically puts them out. Uh, he has a a plot line which shows cumulative expected goals, which is always helpful because it shows you where the the chances came and the situation through the 90 minutes of the game. Uh, But he also runs a a plot line for cumulative expected threat. And I thought this was quite interesting from from the game yesterday because despite the fact that Leeds generated a huge amount of expected goals, they didn't generate as much threat as Wolves did. I'll post this on the, the Twitter account so you can have a look at it. I'm aware that talking about graphs on an audio medium isn't always the best thing. But in terms of expected threat, it's, it's kind of hard to describe expected threat. So I've got a, a definition here from Sockerment. So this reads, One of the cornerstones of measuring offensive contributions in football is based on a very simple fact. The likelihood of scoring a goal in the next few actions depends heavily on the distance to goal at any given moment. It follows, therefore, that the most valuable actions, beside those directly related to scoring, such as goals and assists, are those that move the ball closer to goal. This is the concept at the base of the attacking valuing framework commonly known as expected threat, or XT, whose goal is to take a step back from actions such as shots and key passes and assign credit to the preceding actions that made them possible in the first place. So what you're basically talking about is, given that certain teams had the ball closer to the opposition net, at times in the game 
who are the more threatening teams in those scenarios. Obviously, chance creation, expected goals is just you take all the shots and you work out the possibility of scoring them. Uh, and obviously, Leeds really inflated their numbers yesterday because if you say, for example, the, the Luke Ayling chance, they hit the post, that was a big chance. And then obviously, Ayling got another big chance because the ball fell back to him and he had the chance to score again. And then Harrison had a big chance because the ball then fell to him in the six-yard box. Um, so in terms of like a single goal xg um assessment it's kind of hard to judge like yes we we probably would have scored from that sequence of play because we definitely had the chances to score and so you you think well the xg is probably up around one which is pretty high you know with with the aggregation of those of those chances expected threat basically sort of pulls you back and says well you know at what moment you were close to the goal uh, but where, how do we figure that out over the course of the game? Like, how many times did you get near the goal? What, how likely are you to generate those big chances? Uh, and I think in this instance with Wolves, um, we weren't particularly threatening throughout the game, but we did pick up those big chances. So it just it gives you a slightly, I think, more level assessment of the of the expected goals. If you look at the other games under Jesse Marsh, I think things are different. So in the Villa game, we weren't threatening at all, and that's reflected in the expected goals. In this game, we weren't that threatening, but we did generate big expected goals values whereas in the other two games we were more threatening and we generated more expected goals so it's just another way of maybe adding another layer to to the data there that's really interesting but i i guess a question that i've got is wouldn't that just be a fun wouldn't that partly at least be a function of the style of football that we're playing so we're not we're not looking to possess the ball in areas high up the pitch we're looking to get the ball up there quickly and create chances quickly and get the job done right so that would that would mean you would you you would therefore expect to see our expected threat climb at a lower rate than a possession team like like wolves can are in an attacking moments uh, and, and and i'm just literally thinking this out loud so i'm probably talking complete nonsense um in that sense but isn't that why a lot of managers would prefer a possessional system because it does make you more likely to generate chances. I suppose. No, sure, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I suppose I'm just trying to understand the measure rather than than, than anything than anything else. And I suppose another way that I perhaps think about it is if you watched the game but took the chances out, who do you think more likely to win the game? And I think that that's kind of one way that you could think about it, isn't it? And and, and that that would like if you think about last night's game, Wolves would definitely come out on top uh, in that sense. Yeah. The point of this isn't to just say okay, we weren't as good as we want to think yesterday it's just simply to say that if you actually if we're going to look at the expected goal figures for individual games which at most I think most analysts would say is a too small a sample size it does give you a little bit more of a, a layer there that you can say okay so we did we did generate big chances but we didn't generate many threatening moments and I suppose that then what you're talking about is maybe a bit more of a gamble in terms of an approach you're saying well we aren't going to be that threatening so when we do create we are going to have to create big chances because yeah if we don't then we're not going to be in like you say we're not going to be creating the volume of chances and I suppose that's that's the kind of the 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 way that chaos ball stands and falls there's going to be some games where we aren't going to create much threat and we won't generate some big chances and I think those are going to be the interesting games going forward like what happens when when we do have games like we do against Villa where we just aren't able to generate any sort of threat to translate into um, into expected goals I suppose if you live by chaos you die by chaos and chaos the, the point of chaos is that you have no control over it really you can try and control chaos to a certain extent and put yourself in situations where things are more chaotic and that's what Jesse Marshball is right it's, you want to generate chaos in your attacks and you want to reduce chaos in the opposition's attacks and at the moment it's definitely working I think. 
Yeah, you want him to create chaos where there's ordinarily control in their defensive areas, particularly, yeah. aren't you? So, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I thought that was just an interesting thing to to look at, given that I think that that yesterday's game was quite an outlier compared to the to the other. So, as I'm looking at it, we've had two games where we probably deserve to win, and two games where we probably deserve to lose. And I think going forward, that's what's going to be so interesting in in Marsh Ball is going to be finding the level of those games where you think you're more likely to win versus more likely to lose. So yeah, that's something to just keep in mind for the the future. So no game preview. So we will be doing a preview podcast before the Southampton game. So that will be out not this week, but next week. So yeah, a little bit of a break for us. Uh, We will be putting out some Patreon content though so as i mentioned before do check out the patreon we will be putting out videos i'll do a tactical video on something and josh will do a player focus video on something also um so yeah again just to remind you www.patreon.com forward slash all stats aren't we and i think that brings us to the end of this podcast yeah i mean it's a good job you were good in the second half lads because you were awful first half all there is for me to do is say thank you darren thank you thank you tom Thank you very much. Thank you, dear listeners, for dealing with the chaos that is this podcast. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.